why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Those who've been listening the last two or three weeks, uh, during this time of the coronavirus, COVID-19, I decided until further notice to dedicate the Reasonable Voices radio program to reminders of how we Americans have weathered many hardships before and came through them stronger together. However, this is not a happy talk show that will ignore or deny reality. We are in a bind, everyone knows that, or they should, maybe not all know it, but at least two-thirds of the country get it, but we have each other. So I've invited my good friend, Andrea Miller, to come back and talk to us again with some updates. She is the executive director of uh, People Demanding Action, a multi-issue advocacy group, a non-profit that promotes clean energy in Virginia and nationwide. Andrea is a former congressional candidate, a fierce advocate of solar energy, climate justice, and fair voting practices, reclaiming our vote, and organizing for justice. During the 2017 and 2018 elections, she designed and developed virtual phone banks for outreach to underrepresented voters in Virginia, in Alabama, and in Pennsylvania believing strongly that our ability to vote is our power to change things. Andrea Miller is very much involved with fulfilling the mission of the Center for Common Ground and the Virginia Poor People's Campaign. Welcome back, Andrea Miller, to The Reasonable Voices. How are you today? Marcello, I am great and always, always so excited to come back and join you for your show. Well, I'm so glad because the main thing I want to say to the audience is that in reaching out to people, the idea was to find out how people are continuing their work, or if at all possible. And I've spoken to a number of people, and some have to stay home and in show business as I do, and they have to find other ways and, and learning. I learned how to, to edit video remotely, which was a nice thing. But when I spoke with Andrea the other day about coming back on the show, 
it really didn't sound like she stopped anything at all because much of what she does is online and on the phone and so forth. But I want to talk about Wisconsin and its recent uh, election. What does it teach us, Andrea? And also, I want to talk about what on earth is going on in Texas and Georgia and through the South. So, with all of that, Andrea Miller, I welcome you again. And where shall we begin? Okay, okay. Well, we'll we'll begin with Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin normally is not a state where we work. The entire board of directors of Center for Common Ground, we have a community of color board. And so normally we work in states that have at least a 20% community of color population, and Wisconsin does not. Doesn't mean I don't follow what's going on in Wisconsin, but their population demographics do not make it a state where we can come in and expend our resources. Now, what we saw in Wisconsin was very, very, very determined voters, Mm. people who were willing to stand in line during the rain just to be able to vote. Yes. Reminded me of the 1960s Mm. when it was very obvious when finally black people could vote that it was very much okay, well, actually not uh, 60s, but yeah, the Voting Rights Act made it a lot easier in the 60s mm-hmm. when people could actually, you could see, all right, fine, we're going to let you vote, but we're not going to make it easy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, exactly. And you could really see the stark reality in that part of Wisconsin where the lines went on and people just hung on in those lines. There was a very important judicial race and people were determined. They said, we understand what this race could mean for our community. So we are going to do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty amazing. So now when we are up in Wisconsin, it doesn't get more different than when we literally head straight south and go to Georgia. Georgia is a state that is 38% community of color. When we look at Georgia demographics, Wisconsin is about nine. Mm. So there is this huge difference in who lives in the state. Now, Georgia, Georgia has moved their primary election twice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Originally, they were going to have their presidential primary on March 24th. We were literally right at the beginning of our response, not the beginning of COVID-19, but the beginning of our serious response at that point. So in Georgia, they 
moved the presidential primary to May 19th. So it was on the same date as the congressional and other primaries. Okay. So now all the primaries are on May 19th. Mm-hmm. In looking at where we were at the beginning of April, when Georgia was like, oh, gee, maybe we really need to do something, they then moved the primary again to June 9th, mm. which was Virginia's old primary date. Yes. And, and then they took another rather unprecedented step. They said, we are going to send mail-in vote-by-mail applications to all 7.2 million active registered Georgia voters. Okay. So they did that. And this is when the story just gets really fascinating. Yes. So now the Georgia voters, the active voters have these ballots. Now, in most states, voters have four voter registration statuses. You can be an active voter, which means they have hold an election that day. You mm-hmm. can go vote in. You might be an inactive voter, and inactive means something different in every state in the union. Mm. Whether or not you can vote, what you're going to need to bring with you to vote. In Georgia, an inactive voter merely needs to call their county registrar and go, hey, I'm on the inactive voter rolls. I want to get active in this election. Mm -hmm. And then the registrar marks them active, Mm -hmm. at which point, once they become an active voter, they can then say, and please send me one of those vote-by-mail ballot applications, please. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes in Georgia. Yes. Well, we put up phone banks and started calling Georgia inactive voters, and we started referring them to their county registrars. Ah, excellent. But then the county registrars stopped answering the phone. Ah. So we started compiling information who is and who isn't answering the phones Mm -hmm. because I don't know if you've ever visited your local county elections office but in a lot of counties your county administration building is a nice pretty modern building Mm -hmm. and if it's close to the public as these buildings were but because elections are critical infrastructure and you had the county employees there, one person representing each department, they could very easily social distance from each other, and that's what most of the counties did. They were open, their election administrators were working, probably the tax collectors, because normally they're all in separate offices in separate areas of the building. Yes, yes. Well, we could not get a number of the registrars to open. So we started having people make random calls, and we started comp- 
filing information for a second lawsuit. Oh, mm -hmm. forgot to tell you the first one. Oh, the first lawsuit. one, yes. Tell us about the that. <laughs> when, when the Secretary of State mailed those 7.2 million ballots, yes. there was an envelope, and the envelope was addressed to their local county registrar, who is the one that needs to receive the absentee ballot application. Mm -hmm. However, they didn't pre-stamp or make the envelope postage paid. Uh. So for a lot of older rural voters, this was a problem. Yes. Um, in order to buy a stamp, I've got to go 10 miles. Mm -hmm. I don't drive. I can't just get somebody to come and drive me. We're all on shelter in place. Yes. So you had a lot of people really concerned that they weren't going to be able to vote. So Black Voters Matter and the ACLU filed suit. Mm. And while we were waiting for that lawsuit to happen, the United States Postal Service stepped up and said, hey, everybody, we know what an absentee ballot application is, and we know what an absentee ballot is. We will deliver the absentee ballot application, whether you put a stamp on it or not. Wow. So not having a stamp or being able to go out and get one is not going to stop us from delivering either your application or when it comes time for it, your ballot. Okay. So you want to vote, fill it out, sign it, put it in the mail, and we will take it where it needs to go. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So now we are hearing that some of the county registrars are beginning to answer their phones. <laughs> but we're also hearing that the governor of Georgia is talking about opening up beauty parlors, oh, yes. barber shops, gyms. Gyms, yes, that's the thing. At, at which point you have to go, wait a minute. We all know now that COVID is really spread yes. from droplets yes. in the air. So tell me the gym where people don't go there to sweat. Exactly. Gee, I mean, I've got, I'm going to the gym a lot in my life, I, I admit. But there was a time a few years ago I had a trainer, and let me tell you, they're on top of one another. They sneeze. They cough. They they dry off and shake out their towels. <laughs> That's why and I had a private they trainer. Sweat. Yes. And they sweat. Yes. So I mean, it's a gym. I'm not really imagining them having their staff sanitize no. each piece of equipment when someone gets off and goes to work out on another machine. Exactly, exactly. At best, we, you, you were always sort of expected, and you used a regular towel. You wiped off the sweat of the person before you. I mean, it just was not... Uh, again, that's why I had a, a personal trainer, because we could go to his room, and I, it was just me. So You're right, exactly, exactly, yes. And it's just, wow, yes. how is this going to work? So uh, Georgia will be 
be interesting. As I said, their new primary date is June 9th. And by the way, talking about primary dates, hopefully everyone realizes Virginia has changed the date of our primary election, too. It is now on June 23rd. Yes. And I hope, you know, that we're going, well, our time is going to tell. Some of us will will be smart uh, in the meantime as we approach these important dates, not to mention November 2020. But if we are not smart in areas of the country where people, for whatever reason, I mean, I know it's become, and I understand it, I understand it's become a, a battle instead of a balance between lives and livelihood. But when I hear people say, like, like the woman in the car and they keep showing her, she sticks her head out, let us go back, it's time, it's okay. You know, is it worth your life? I mean, I just don't get it. Right. That, that's the... right. right. Is it worth your life or, or possibly someone else's? Because remember, if you're young and reasonably healthy, even if you come down with it, all right, it's probably going to be mild. Mm. If we begin opening things up and you are a carrier, you are an asymptomatic carrier, what happens when you touch things in a post office, in a grocery store, and someone else touches it, and they are very vulnerable, or they live with someone who is staying at home Mm. who is very vulnerable. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we want to talk more about not only what's happening in the South in particular, but Midwest as well, upper Midwest, in opening perhaps too soon. But we're going to talk also about Texas and what's happening in Texas. But uh, give us a little history, too, of the current governor of Georgia, how he got there. I want to remind everyone of that. We can depend on all the right answers and the left answers (laughs) from Andrea Miller, our guest today. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Andy Fell Minute. In history class, most of us learned that the Civil War ended the institution of slavery in America. The 13th Amendment declared that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude should be legal in the land, except as a punishment for crime. It is this conspicuous loophole that award-winning director Ava DuVernay explores in her blistering documentary, 13th. Through a series of interviews with academics, businessmen, and politicians from both sides of the aisle, along with horrific historical photographs and modern video footage, 13th makes the case that slavery never disappeared in America. It only changed form. First with the Jim Crow laws of the South, then in the 80s as the war on drugs, and now with the disproportionate mass incarceration of black Americans. The subject matter is difficult, but DuVernay has edited the film so as to make it impossible to turn away. There are no moments of silence, no places to catch your breath. Hip-hop lyrics punctuate the film's segments, relentless in their plea for justice. If ever a film deserved to become required viewing across America, it would be 13th. Watch it tonight. 13th. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. 
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, continuing a conversation with Andrea Miller, the Executive Director of People Demanding Action, very much involved with creating virtual phone banks in Virginia and Alabama and Pennsylvania in the elections of 2017 and 2018, and of course very much involved with the Center for Common Ground and Virginia's Poor People's Campaign. There's so many things that bother me about what's happening with conservative governors in the upper Midwest and conservative governors in Texas and Georgia in particular, and how Governor Kemp got there in the first place uh, to become a governor. I feel like the governors are being reckless with the lives of their constituents. I just wonder what the thoughts are when they are opening businesses where people are not just not social distancing, but it's hands-on. I mean, you can't uh, do a person's hair without touching them or their nails or whatever, or gym. They are affecting both, it seems to me, their constituents, meaning conservatives, because the conservatives will be more likely to believe what Donald Trump is saying and act accordingly. But it's also affecting people in areas where public transportation is necessary, and you said something that really hit me, in areas where there are not as many hospitals. Could you take it from there? When you look at rural communities, there are frequently no longer county hospitals in those communities. Mm. Um, And especially if you are, say, in the Black Belt of a state. Mm -hmm. It may be that the nearest hospital is an hour or more away Mm. from your particular county, so that if you do get sick, there is going to be a very long trip to actually get to the hospital. Now, most rural counties do not have public transportation. Hmm. So now you're depending on finding a neighbor, a friend, a relative with a car to transport you somewhere that is more urban where they are going to have a hospital. Georgia is one of the states that is going to reopen very, very early. Georgia currently has 18,911 cases. So they are approaching 20,000 cases. When you look at Georgia and you look at Georgia's county, Fulton County and DeKalb County, which are basically Cobb, Gwinnett, they are all around the city of Atlanta. I'm looking at 2,200 cases, 1,500 cases, 1,200 cases, and that's one city. Wow. So the New York Times did an analysis, and they said that when you look at the numbers in Georgia, 178 people out of 100,000 people have the coronavirus when you look statewide. Now, I'm going to go down to a county in Georgia, so that's 178 overall. Mm. 
I'm going to go down to a county, a county called Terrell County. This is a very, very small, mainly African-American county. Mm -hmm. It's a black belt county. Okay. They have 156 cases. That is equivalent to 1,761 people out of 100,000 having the virus. Oh, goodness. That one very, very small county. Now, if you have seen the movie Suppressed, The Fight to Vote, you know that movie is about another Black Belt County, Randolph County. Mm -hmm. Randolph County has 146 cases. That would be equivalent to 2,060 people out of 100,000 having the virus. Goodness. Yes. These are poor rural counties. No hospital within an hour's drive. Sobering, sobering thoughts. It it all seems so premeditated. Um, I don't know. You know, we're so busy... Um, looking at some of us anyway so busy looking at the I am I'm confessing I'm talking about me the 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 impact on the election and that's a very important thing but I think we forget that some of these actions that are being taken by some governors primarily conservative Republican governors in, in red states they are they're not just threatening the lives of their very constituents, which has been my thought, how silly of them, how short-sighted. But clearly, I, from what you're saying, the, within their states there are areas that are already challenged and underserved, and that this is just another layer or layers on the backs of such people who in Wisconsin, for instance, stood there for hours and hours, risking their lives, probably quite literally, so that they could exercise their privilege to vote. Your thoughts? Correct. And and again, when you look at, um, I'm going to jump to New York for a moment. Okay. When you look at um, areas in Brooklyn and Queens yes. that were so very hard hit, it was areas where you have a lot of people living in small spaces Mm. where there are a lot of apartments you've got multi generations of families living together some younger people some older people some school children school age children so remember new york was reluctant to close the public schools because many of the students this was their primary source of guaranteed food yes so by trying to remain open to feed the students it potentially allowed the students who maybe got sick but didn't get that sick Mm. to bring it home to an older relative who got very sick and possibly even died. Yes. Uh, There was a very young child recently who died. I can't remember where she was from, but 
she was like four or five years old, I think. And and then and and it also seems to be that the age range is so wide, no one's really safe. Go ahead. That that really is true because the other thing they've discovered about this disease is that it will attack your weakest organ. Yes. For so many people who died, their lungs were the weakest part. They have now discovered and they now believe that if your kidneys are the weakest part, it may attack your kidney or it may attack your liver. They, this, they, I read somewhere they described the disease as a smart killer. Yes, yes, it is indeed that. Tell us about Texas. What is happening there and, and why do you think? Texas is a very, very interesting state. Mm. Um, Texas, like Virginia, is a state that in order to vote by mail or vote absentee, you had to have an excuse that was acceptable by the Board of Elections. Yes. So Virginia will come July when our new laws are passed no longer be a absentee voting with excuse state in July we will be a no excuse absentee voting state meaning if I want to vote absentee I can vote absentee mm-hmm. just because I want to I don't have to go mother may I or yes. look I have an approved excuse yes yes in Texas, they will still be for the entire rest of the year an excuse required to absentee vote. So one of the main excuses that we are working with is people 65 and older, those most vulnerable to COVID-19, we are contacting them and suggesting that they may want to request a vote-by-mail ballot. Now, the Democratic Party of Travis County sued the state of Texas and said, look, Virginia, even Alabama are Mm. saying COVID-19 is a valid excuse for choosing to vote by mail in this election. We want you to accept COVID-19. On Wednesday, a judge in Texas ruled, yes, that is perfectly valid. People of any age can use the COVID-19 reason and request a vote-by-mail ballot. Excellent. Yes, yes, yes. Now, Texas is Texas. Yes. (laughs) One of the things I loved about Texas is for people who qualified for an absentee ballot under their rules, you were disabled or you were 65 or older. They had concierge service. I could go on the Secretary of State website and a voter or I on behalf of the voter could put in the voter's information and they could request an absentee ballot. Mm. The Secretary of State's office would review it. 
they would then print it and they would mail it to the voter in with an envelope addressed to their county registrar with a stamp on it. That was concierge service. Yes. Well, I called them on Friday to see is this still available and they said please don't use our website because our offices are closed she said our offices are not only closed to the public they're closed to us we can't get in and access our printers or anything we're all working from home so please help people call their early voting administrator so she gave me a number and I called the administrator in Harris County and the first thing she asked for was my birth date so in other words a judge had decided on Wednesday anybody that wants to vote by mail Uh can vote by mail Yes. the first question I'm asked is what is my birth date? And I do actually have a relative that lives in Texas. Mm-hmm. And so she's 85. So I was able to say, well, the the aunt I'm calling about is 85 years old. So believe me, she qualifies to vote by mail. Yes. But there was this disconnect between the registrar in one of the largest counties of Texas, Harris County, mm-hmm. and the ruling that had just come down from a judge. Now, the Secretary of State in Texas actually is countersuing and demanding that that judge's ruling be overturned. So we are still waiting to see how that movie comes up. So the Secretary of State of the State of Texas is saying COVID-19 should not be an excuse to vote absentee. That is correct. I wonder what it would take. It's interesting. It is very, very interesting. Now, let's go to probably the state with the worst absentee voting rules yes. on the books. Yes. The great state of North Carolina. Yes, oh yes. In North Carolina, they say, any citizen wants to vote by mail, you are welcome to vote by mail. However, in order to vote by mail, when you sign your vote by mail ballot, you have to sign in the presence of a notary. Well, that's equivalent to a poll tax yes. because notary publics aren't free. Yes, exactly. All right. And then, in addition to that, you have to have two witnesses. In the age of COVID, I am A, out finding someone who is a notary public and hauling along two witnesses. How does that work if I live alone, I'm older, and I'm rural? And you're supposed to be six feet apart. Right. And again, I'm older, I'm rural. Yes. Where is a notary public? Exactly. And, you know, I'm... 78 years old Mm. I'm doing great on my own I'm managing to live alone but now I'm supposed to get somebody to drive me probably going to be 10 20 miles to where this notary is and then I've got to get 
two other people to witness my signature. I don't think so. No. And you know, no matter what what the initial, the original intent, I'll leave that out there for now, but the point is, th these kinds of actions are impacting on the most vulnerable voters, let's even put it that way. The, the, right. the people who have the, who want to vote, but are already challenged by that because of where they live in public transportation or the lack thereof. And when you add COVID-19 on top of all of that and still you act like it doesn't exist, that everything is normal, and you want a court, a judge to say that so you can... I, I, it's really questionable is the nicest way I can put it. What what are we doing about... I guess we're waiting in... In Texas, you're waiting for the court, uh, the appeals court to hear the case. But what can be done... And explain again, I know I'm asking a lot of different questions, but they all come back, and I know you can pull them together. The the difference between voting by mail and absentee voting, so that everyone understands that again. I know we've talked about it before, but we need a refresher course. Well, voting by mail is a form of absentee voting. When they talk about absentee voting, which is actually a form of early voting, mm -hmm. it means you are not going to vote in person on election day. Mm -hmm. Is the best way to think about it. Now, some states allow mail-in ballot where you can get your ballot and then you fill it out at home, you can take time, really, really study it, and then when you're done, you put it in the mail, you mail it back to your county registrar, they're going to open it up, and it's a paper ballot. Now, in a lot of states, people may actually like that better because you will not be voting on a machine. You mm -hmm. are going to have a piece of paper, and you'll be able to take a pencil or a black pen, and you will be able to mark your ballot, something that everybody knows how to do. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is comfortable using these touchscreen voting machines. Yes, exactly. Especially older people. Mm -hmm. Now, some states only allow, like Alabama, they are in-person absentee voting, meaning you must present yourself with your ID to your county registrar and then you can vote in the registrar's office. That's normally what I do because I'm normally working on elections on election day. Mm -hmm. So normally I wouldn't have time to go and vote. So a lot of states consider absentee voting early voting. Yeah. They have a lot of names, but it all boils down to it's kind of the same thing. Mm. You are trying to avoid the lines on election day showing up in person to vote. And especially during a, a coronavirus, a pandemic, as we're going through now, that is a, especially a smart thing to do. So any institution, any government, trying to limit that in any way seems anti-election, or at least anti-fair elections. anti-democracy. Exactly. Right. right. Now, 
some states give people a lot of flexibility with how you can get the ballot back. Most states will allow you to mail it back. Like I said, Alabama wants you to show up and bring it. And some states will actually allow you to fax it or email it. Mm. All right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of opens up its own separate problems. But they do give you options. And then states that have early voting, North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Texas, say you can bring your ballot back and turn it in during early voting. Now, states like um, Georgia, Texas, North Carolina, and Arizona, if you are in a large county, the large counties have a lot of voting centers, and that means you can drop your ballot off anywhere in the county. Mm-hmm. But and smaller counties. Most, uh, Georgia and North Carolina both try to have at least one day during early voting when you can go vote on a Saturday. Hmm. How yeah. close are we, are we ever going to get an election day that's a national holiday? In Virginia, that was one of the bills that they passed. So election day in Virginia this year will be a holiday. Now, it is not a national holiday, ah. but it is now a holiday in Virginia. Oh. That was one of the pieces of legislation we passed this year. Well, congratulations. Okay. Yes. Well, you know, as usual, you've given us an awful lot of information and about such huge chunks of the country and what's going on and how different it is, you know, and because reminding everyone again that the states have almost complete charge and control of the electoral process is in it so it's like 50 different elections that are going on or being run as that state chooses to run them yes according to the u.s constitution any power that is not granted to the federal government oh yes yes is a power that is granted and controlled by each individual state. Yes. So that's why different states can have different voting equipment. There is no consistent, your polling locations must be open from this time to that time because it's all state law. Some states have online voter registration, some states don't. You've just got this hodgepodge of rules that literally are different in every state. Well, the good news uh, in all of that is you can only vote once in your state residence, so you need to learn what the rules are in your state. And then when you want to know for your general uh, information what the rules are in other states, you just come to the Reasonable Voices when we have Andrea Miller on the show, and then you'll know. Now, Andrea, how do we find out the kinds of things we need to go review, you know, what you've been telling us today? Uh, Give us a couple of websites, yours and the uh, whatever other websites you think we need to know so that we can go and follow through on what you've taught us today. Well, I'm going to give you two websites. You can go to vote.org, V-O-T-E dot org, and that is a resource for all 50 
you states. You can go to that website, you can find your state, and then it will allow you to check your voter registration and do other things. And in many instances, they will give you a connection directly to your state's website. But with vote.org and vote411.org, you can go to one place and then all the information you need about voting in any state of the union, they will get you there. Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, give us a a quick final word on what you want us to take away from all of this. COVID-19 and elections, Wisconsin, Texas, what is the South doing? Opening up too soon, I know, throw, throw out, throw a blanket out and and just um, give us something to think about for the next few months. One of the things to be very, very concerned about if your state is planning on opening too soon or you are thinking about going out and about and taking your mask off is we are dealing with a disease that I love the part where they say novel, Mm. meaning it's new. We haven't seen anything like this before. And the places that have fared best have been places where they kept everybody apart for a long period of time and had a lot of testing and they were sure the numbers are going down. In the United States, we are not sure the numbers are going down. Mm. We don't test anybody. Exactly. So that is very much a problem. We could very well see that as these states open up and people begin traveling back and forth between cities and counties and states, we could see a whole new outbreak that was bigger than the one that we originally had. Yes. So that's a very important lesson to take. The other lesson to take is, and this is kind of a sad one, that we do not have a system for anything. We do not have a healthcare system. When we discovered what the coronavirus was, Hospitals did not have personal protective equipment Mm. for their doctors and their nurses. They did not have a system in place. They also did not have emergency supplies. Hospitals being corporate-owned now only order the amount of supplies they believe they need for a month. So they were caught flat-footed. We don't have a system of education when they close the schools, communities that don't have internet, families that don't have internet had no way to educate their children. And so education and teaching learning became something for the rich and the privileged, not the poor. And finally, we have no system for elections. Mm. So basically, in the three important things in our lives, healthcare, the education of our children and our elections, there is no plan. There is no system. When anything bad happens, we're on our own. Well, that was um, 
we have got a lot to think about and to realize we weren't ready and there are reasons we weren't ready and one of them just the tiniest piece of the reason that we weren't ready that uh, Andreas slipped right in there and I hope everyone caught it hospitals now being corporately owned you know and that's just one piece of the pie all right thank you so very much Andrea Miller as always you tell it like it is and you tell it like anyone listening can understand and follow through on it so thank you so very much for being on the show you will definitely be back probably in may because things keep happening and i need you to update us is that all right with you that is just fine martello i love joining you because i love your questions <laughs> well i love your answers all right this has been the reasonable voices news talk radio program with my guest andrea miller and my friend andrea miller executive director of people demanding action please go to the websites one more times andrea well for voter information go to vote.org and vote411.org all 50 states are there excellent thank you and all the best to you and all your team and and all that you continue to do even in this challenging time thanks so much for being on the show we'll talk to you soon and now enjoy watchfire music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Marcello Rolando, the reasonable voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Lives and livelihoods. Can't have one without the other, but who's on first? My grandmama used to say God is always talking to us if we'd only listen. But what nurturing lesson could there be in witnessing from the living side of nursing and retirement homes glass panes, the pain of surviving the double vision of our reflection mingled with the face of a loved one succumbing to an invisible killing machine? What possible method could there be to viral madness choking life out of over 52,000 of our family, friends, and neighbors? 
is revealing the greater love of so many different heritages, creeds, and cultures, isolating from their loved ones to lay down their lives for strangers and colleagues' justification? Who among the gods or demigods thinking themselves almighty could possibly concur with cutting off connecting contact from community cooperation, comforting camaraderie, and conjugal cuddling? What if COVID-19 is more than a pandemic passing out strokes to the young, stealing dreams, and stamping out our faith in centuries-old self-definitions by introducing shelter-in-place hope to conservatives financing protests against reason? Is COVID-19's 2020 presence highlighting the destructive equality of voter alienation and callousness of a nation-dividing Senate Majority Leader? Could COVID-19, while menacingly inclusive, clearly choosing most often to cull from a top-down, convenience-oriented society the blood, sweat, and tears foundation of low-wage-earning human infrastructure, holding aloft aloof billionaires? What if, like the tide, COVID-19's ebb current erodes our superficial illusions that nursing and retirement homes, corporate-owned hospital supplies, banker-imposed recession and student loan servitude is normal, that denial of annual minimum wage increases, rural communities without Internet access, hospitals, doctors, or public transportation to health care facilities, tremendous zip code discrepancies between school buildings and the texts is normal that annual teachers' income less than an athlete's salary per game, electoral process vulnerable to foreign manipulation without recourse, judicial branch flip-flop by conservative revenge, denying one president's Supreme Court appointment in favor of another's, is normal. That politicizing the last remnants of checks and balances, disallowing witness testimony at an impeachment trial, exasperating our nation's blue-red state divide by whitening out the truth that liberal state tax dollars subsidize those living in states run by conservative policies, restricting essential health care of their unknowing constituents, is normal. That allowing a president to remain in office who, even before prescribing a shot or two of disinfectants to keep the coronavirus down, clearly and publicly demonstrated his psychological and intellectual inability to fulfill his oath to preserve, protect, and defend Americans from all enemies, foreign and domestic. That any of this is in any way normal. There is nothing normal about skin color, choice of bedfellow, or zip code income, determining one's place in the cruise line between birth and death by president. There is nothing normal about enjoying dinner out while ignoring the opportunistic gravity of our inhumane food chain, from underpaid and abused farm workers to shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder workers in packing plants, potentially dying by the hundreds, not just from COVID-19, but from systemic conditions on factory farms. Whether divine will, a stewardless Earth's rebellion restoring a humanless space to wild animals, or simply corporate greed, the truth is America has never achieved the health care, education, nor electoral exceptionalism which we have been so indoctrinated to believe since 1776. Surely the exceptionalism of one person, one vote is a myth when failing to protect us from electing presidents like our 45th and his pretend patriots.
classifying hospital staffs and Wisconsin primary voters expendable because moneyed conservative media society and opinion manipulators believe their profit margins are more important than our lives, Make America Great Again has raised America to COVID-19's first place. Legalizing Citizens United, we enabled corporate-owned media, hospitals, and every level of government empowered corporate CEOs and boards of directors to hedge their salaries at our expense, facilitated the corrosion of American education, permitted pharma and health insurance gouging, and allowed limitations on hospital emergency stockpiles, arguably thus underwriting Wall Street bonuses. Choosing to ignore or be ignorant of factual information is a fool's errand, and accepting any mirage of superiority over another denies the wisdom of to those much is given, much is expected in order to benefit others. Perhaps the real lesson of COVID-19 is how nature and environment grasped an overdue gasp of fresh air, the very moment human interpretation of stewardship stayed home. For the wise, COVID-19 is an unforgiving rehearsal for the effect of human over-consumerism on planet Earth. Failing to learn this lesson by not implementing emergency management planning before the next emergency needing management arrives, climate change may be our curtain call. But take heart. Historically, in our land of the free, 98% of us have usually, if not finally, provided the brave in the home of the brave. But know this, there will be peace on earth again, whether it begins with us or not. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.